0: ever wondered what it would be like to own a business in this day and age and trying to grow and scale or start from scratch with the interest rates high, equipment prices high? Well, our guest today has some great advice for anyone that's thinking about expanding or starting in this economy. So stick around and hear his thoughts. It's a new week and a new episode of the Skid Steer Nation podcast. Before we introduce our guest today, I do want to take a second to say first, Please subscribe to the podcast so that you can be updated when new episodes come out. And um, make sure you guys comment, reach out to us with any feedback, insights. Hearing from you guys makes my day. And if you do own a skid steer or a business and you're looking for the right attachment to get jobs done more efficiently, things that are going to last for a long time, don't forget Skid Steer Nation actually is an attachment store, skidsteernation.com. You'll find only American-made skid steer attachments, and we've got a whole line of them over there. So head over to skidsteernation.com and see what we have to offer. Well, today our guest is David Bial. He is from Dover, North Carolina. He owns a company called Eco Land Management. He and his son, I believe, are doing this together. We'll dig into that a little bit deeper. And he started out as a lineman and made the transition and he's got a lot of thoughts on the current economy, the interest rates, and we're definitely going to dig into that stuff later. So, David, thank you for taking time out and joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, you're you're sitting in the truck today. You said you got rained out on a job. I
1: don't know. Uh, customer uh, didn't have all of his ducks in a row and we got shut down for permitting issues. So
0: <laughs> It's always a fun day. Always, always, always a fun day. It's never, never boring when you own a business. So you never know what little issue is going to arise or large issue.
1: That's right. Every day is different. um Take it with a grain of salt, really.
0: Yeah. So you, you were a lineman. Were you traveling lineman or was it all local?
1: I was. So a little bit to the backstory I, uh, I started young doing, uh, landscaping and such, and it grew into a home site development company in South Florida. And then, uh, when the bubble had popped in 07, I kind of lost everything and had to restart. So I went back into the electrical field because it's recession-proof. And um, we uh, we traveled. We I, I went all over, uh, my wife and I, from West Texas all the way to Maryland, all the way down to Miami and Homestead area. It was a great experience, a lot of fun, a lot of tools that you need to have a, your own business. I learned in that. Learned all the things that I didn't like about that that industry as well. Very unsafe. Uh, it's high risk. I won't say it's unsafe. It's just high risk. I've seen people get hurt badly. I've seen people lost limbs and seen somebody die. So <laughs> it was never a dull moment in that business either.
0: Yeah, it just just it's a good reminder every now and then we don't we we take running water, electricity, all that stuff for granted. And there's always somebody in the back end that's working a high risk profession to, to ensure that we have those luxuries.
1: That's true. Uh it's very uh you don't
0: realize how much you need it until you don't have it. The old saying goes, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, you're you're in South Florida, you travel in the U.S., and then you end up in Dover, North Carolina, starting a land management company.
1: So, uh, the business I had in 07 was, uh, we did land management, home site development, construction management as well. It was a big company, and, I mean, we, we went from basically uh, a couple hundred thousand dollars a month to being owed $150,000 till this day within a month and a half two months time so I mean that's we were in the second hardest hit which was Cape Coral Florida and one month we had 7,200 houses go on foreclosure so of course that that just uprooted us you know I was young I was 24 years old I just had to keep telling myself you look this isn't your fault you know this isn't your control out of your control uh you know, you weren't spending all your money at the bar or on drugs or something like that. You just, I got upside down. I, you know, all that money was coming in. And uh, we went out and bought a half million, million dollars worth of equipment. And then when it popped, I couldn't afford to pay for all the equipment. So we had to shut, shut the doors. I went back to line work. The actual, what happened was, is we were in West Texas in the desert, a little town called Goldsmith. And it is a population of like 130 people. And, uh, I looked at my wife, got back in the truck and told her I was sorry. And she's like, what, you know? And I was like, well, it's not paradise. (laughs) We're in the desert. Spent a year and a half out there. And they sent us here to Moorhead city, North Carolina. And it's right on the water. And I told my wife, I think we found our new home. And we spent another year and a half here and, uh, fell in love with it. My son moved up here mid high school and, uh, he ended up graduating. And I told my wife, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to uproot him and uh, change another school right through the middle of his high school, you know, so we found a house here, and we've been here for 10 years now.
0: That's awesome. You know, it's so funny how you have to go through 130 person towns in Texas and to go through that journey to end up where you're supposed to end up. It's just a good reminder that we're exactly where we're supposed to be today and we'll be where we need to be tomorrow. That's
1: right. That's right. I believe I'm a, a big believer in fate and you know everything happens for a reason so i try to take everything with that that concept and uh not let things weigh you down and i mean that's a big part of this business i we We have something break usually daily so if you let that bother you then being self-employed is not for you
0: yeah i can only imagine if you go back to like 2008 when that bubble popped for you in florida especially being in your mid-20s not you know, you've got some life experience, but you can look back now saying I was still pretty green as far as life goes at 24. So it's, and, and to me, that outlook that you had of like, it's not my fault. You know, I couldn't control the economy. That's an amazing outlook, especially when you're that deep invested into a business, which looks like dead on paper. You're at that age. So did you have a lot of moments that you had to talk yourself out of either like being the victim or like an imposter? Like, God, I didn't belong here. What was I thinking? or or did you were you able to keep a level head for a majority of the time?
1: Uh, you know I'd like to look back at it and say, Hey, I handled that perfectly, but I learned from it it wasn't handled perfectly. I had my you know I was going through a divorce or I had went through a divorce you know right before the economy broke, and uh that weighed on me a lot because you know I never wanted to have my kids grown up in a broken home, and um It it was a a whole bunch of stuff that just kind of crashed on top of me at once. And I look back at it and think, well, it made me who I am today. My son says that to me all the time. You know, if you wouldn't have done this, you wouldn't be who you are right now. And I I contribute that to that. So to me, I don't regret any of it. Um, I do things different now. Biggest thing that I do different is uh, I buy what I have to finance what i have to and then i pay it off before i go out and acquire new equipment so i'm not going to get so extended out there to where i can't afford to i mean my mortgage in in florida was like five thousand dollars a month and you know here my mortgage is eight hundred dollars a month so i'm never going to let that balloon in again you know where i can't go and get a job at walmart as a door greeter if i had to to pay for my mortgage because losing the house was the hardest thing you know. My father had built the house, and I grew up there from when I was a year and two-year-old. That really broke me the most out of all my experiences because, you know, you buy your family's house, and then you end up losing it, and that's a big,
0: that's a tough pill to swallow, really, so. I can't imagine. Not going to let that happen again. (laughs) No. And you're right. There's a lot of life lessons to that. I just find that especially younger guys that are getting in and breaking the ground, starting their own business, kind of trailblazing. The best advice I tell them is one good, good, good call. Go get it because at your age, if it does fail, like you at 24 when that business collapsed, easy to go rebuild. Sucks internally. You got to fight, you got to grind, but it's not like you're 50 years old going shit. I'm supposed to retire in 15 years. What do I do now? Like, you right. can fail in your twenties, and you got plenty of time to go make it up later.
1: It's really not even a failure if you keep on plugging away. I mean, it's just let it be a learning experience, and don't give up. I mean, nothing in life's easy. If if it was, women and children would be out here doing us,
0: you know. Yeah, and like we'd be sitting in the dark if Edison didn't fail what a thousand or ten thousand times developing the light bulb. And, and I think well, his quote, what his quote was, "I never failed. I just found a thousand ways it didn't work."
1: That's right. You got to find a way that works right, best for you. Um, my one story isn't going to change the way you do yours and you need to have it where, you know, you pinpoint what works for you and and stick to that.
0: Yeah. But I do feel like your story will, like, I mean, there's somebody out there listening to this who's struggling right now, questioning why you started a business, looking at the bills piling up. I mean, the, the numbers show that somebody's listening to that out there. And if your story can be like a beacon of hope to go, Hey, just grind. Keep working, put pencil to paper, develop a plan, work through it. Don't give up.
1: That's right. If you want it bad enough, you can have anything. I mean, I remember my family telling me you can grow up to be anything in this world, and that's that's true if you understand the whole concept of it. If you want to be a land management or uh operate an tractor or just an operator or business owner whatever it is, if you plug away and make it that your passion is going to be I'm going to succeed at this, then you will, and it'll be a rough road to hoe, but you'll make it, and you'll look back at it and think, wow, I'm glad I did this, and look at this perks that I get, the freedom or the money or whatever it is for you.
0: Yeah, it's you, you're definitely going to have to sacrifice something along the way in some area of your life. Like, you can't have growth without sacrifice.
1: That's right. I mean, I gave up. I have uh, four kids, and my first marriage, I had two and i gave up uh, about 10 years of being on the road with not being able to see them but during the summer you know so that, that that's something that i wish i could have you know had it differently but i did what i had to do so that way i could have the money to start this business when the time came
0: yep so speaking of this business what you started about 2020 right
1: yeah we started a week before the uh closure <laughs> of everything and uh It was, I I said to my my son, uh, did we just start at the wrong time? I mean, but in hindsight, I see that the interest rates were down and the equipment, they were trying to unload everything. You know, it was like, uh, let's get, let's push, let's push, let's push. And I mean, they were basically just in and out. So it was the perfect time
0: to start. Yeah. If you had a date of birth, cat Financing was giving anybody equipment back then. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, you know, it's funny because I just and I I feel like COVID is always a topic in almost every episode, just because it was such a relevant part in most of our lives. It was so recent ago too, but I just remember looking back. I remember when they started talking about this this virus like overseas and and, and nobody was like yeah whatever like okay another 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 swoop you know bird flu or something swine flu in China and then and then we had a case in the U.S. and we're still like yeah whatever and it was like overnight the government said shut down. I don't feel like there was a lead up to it. Well, you know, I'm from a
1: rural area over here in the eastern part of North Carolina, and uh, it really didn't, like you're saying, it was a bunch of disbelievers. You know, COVID really wasn't anything for this this area. They had their sicknesses. Uh, we pretty much stayed away from anybody that had mandates or anything like that. There was a couple counties that you know we were close to that they they were a little more strict, but pretty much everything around us was laid back. Uh, You know, unless it happened to somebody that they cared about, they really didn't do or say anything
0: about it. I just remember like feeling like one day, like, all right, something's coming. We'll see what happens. And the next day, like lockdowns, close these businesses. And I was like, isn't there usually a lead up to a shutdown? I just felt like the hammer dropped in one day. I've never seen a shutdown before. So that was new to me. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, are they really,
1: this is only gonna happen for a week, right? You know, and here we are a year later, what the heck? We're still shut down.
0: Yeah, I remember we started Skid Steer Nation because that month in March, right, after COVID started, it was like, all right, now's the perfect time, I'm gonna be home, I got all this time, we can build a website, build a marketing plan and go from there. And that was baffling because it wasn't two months later, everybody was talking about how busy they were because homeowners were sitting at home with nothing to do, staring at their property, and I almost feel like for the land service industry, it was probably like a silver lining to have COVID because businesses were able to just launch and grow. And I mean, it
1: was great. It really was. I mean, things have started to slow down now, but then it—you know—the fears were shortly replaced. Well, let's go out and buy another piece of equipment now that we got this. And I feel like this was going to be—you know—we actually started in the forestry and. There's so many people that went out and bought equipment, it seemed at the same time, and they were charging such a ridiculously low amount that I know a lot of them have already gone out of business now, but I know that you know the things that you don't see in business are your maintenance, your employee, your the money that you pay them that, okay, you pay them $25 an hour, well, you might as well figure you're going to be paying them $50 an hour because of all your government dues and taxes and stuff. So you got to figure that in, but your maintenance is the big thing. These people are going out and, you know, they were charging 75 to a hundred dollars an hour. And uh, I try to never bid by the hour. I don't try to give an hourly rate, but you know, when they start doing stuff like that, it, it really makes it hard for you to go out and get a job where they, their work wasn't, it was subpar by far, you know, like they would get out there and and realize that they charged too little and not even finish the job. I saw a lot, but, um, Or they just wouldn't do a good job at all you know so that kind of we we stepped back and said all right well what can we do so we went kind of a different direction than the forestry mulching and um i mean we still offer it we do it we have the equipment to do it but uh we're not going to compete with people that are going to go out of business in a year that are charging 75 to 100 dollars less than what they should be charging
0: yeah so Um, you said you don't like to charge jobs by the hour. Can you kind of give us your reasoning behind that, or how do you bid your jobs? So my first thing is, is I'm not going to
1: go out there and uh, bid a job by the hour and be able to get it done in two hours. And now I just shot myself in the foot with being able to get the money that I should have got for the job. These aren't accurate numbers. I mean, no job really takes you two hours, but you know what I mean. Uh, I like to go out there physically put my eyes on the job, see if there's any wetlands or marsh, uh, ponds, um, fence, metal, old mobile homes that are buried in these places. Uh, You just can't really tell that, you know, so unless you go out there and look at this job. So I'll go out there and look at the job. And I've gotten to the point now where I let my son do the bidding to where he feels confident enough to, you know, he's going to be able to have to do this here soon and um to the point where if you go out there and bid a job for let's say five thousand dollars to clear an acre or something and uh you tell them well it's going to be 175 dollars an hour and you can clear this acre in 12 hours you've just lost money so there's no sense in in bidding by the hour and then customers start you know well you you still owe me an hour, or you uh, can you do this since I have an hour left, or you know it's always something going to get added to it, and it's just a bad experience. The only time I try to do by the hour is like I have a contractor in in the county next to us, and um, I will give him an not an hourly price, but I will. All right, this is what it's going to take us to do it, so this is what the price is going to be, and that's what it boils down to in the hour. And, I mean, he's a, he's a big contractor, though, so he needs a little bit more
0: information than your regular homeowner does. Well, he's running a business, and he's got to justify a cost versus an expense to a profit on his end as well. But, like, those homeowners, landowners, like, they have a problem, and they need a solution.
1: That's right. And a lot of them don't even understand exactly what they're getting themselves into, you know. They they think oh you can just come and mow this or brush cut that or forestry mulch this or remove this tree and it's more than that you know I mean like the fees that you don't realize the maintenance like I just spent six thousand dollars on tracks and idlers and uh, sprockets for this machine that's got a thousand hours on it you know people don't take that into account when they start going out there and work well if you don't have that six thousand dollars saved up for you know, your extra expenses. And I mean, another thing that I realized too is it cost me about a dollar per service per hour. So if I'm going to go out and do 500 hours worth of work, I've got to have a $500 budget there just to maintain that machine per
0: hour. Grease, oil, filters. That's right. Yeah. Um,
1: We try to buy everything in bulk that helps us save money we buy all of our uh red and tacky grease um believe it or not from amazon and uh you know i end up getting per tube like four dollars and fifty cents where you can't buy a per tube for less than 10 bucks for that red and tacky i mean mm-hmm. that's a big price difference. and when you're going through a box every week or so you know that adds up in a year
0: yeah there's four grand a year
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) just in, just
0: in Greece. And if you don't put it on there, your machine suffers and you're going to have way more than four grand in repairs for your machine. Yeah. I know. I talked about it in a few different episodes because I have a lot of guys that they really don't know their numbers or their costs. So they never really put pen to paper on it. And I always say there's the, the best starting point that I've found is that case construction is a website, like case, total cost of ownership, calculator, case, total cost of ownership, calculator. And You can go in there, you can pick the machine, you can pick your your purchase price, your depreciation, your interest rate, you can calculate all that. You can put your workers in there, maintenance that you want to set aside per hour, and it'll actually calculate what your cost to operate that machine per hour is. And It's not to the nickel because it's a generic calculator for all machines, but man, it's a substantially better starting point.
1: Oh, that's a good website. I didn't know about it. The big things that you don't realize too is the windshields. I mean, how many windshields we got Lexan windshields, but we still break them, and they still get broken. I mean, that's a thousand dollars a pop right there. I mean, accidents happen all the time. We had a, a, a tree roll off of the burn pile right onto the cab of our Bobcat, and it didn't crush it, but it dented it. You know, I mean, a new cab, six thousand bucks. <laughs> These are things that you got to account for. Every year, or you're going to have a piece of equipment that you can't use no more if you don't have that little nest egg there
0: to be able to repair it. So I'm just curious to know, do you have one single bank account that you operate your business out of? Or do you have multiple accounts where you're setting money aside and savings account for maintenance or repairs or unexpected events? Or how do you you set up your business?
1: I have one business account right now. We have different credit cards, though. Business credit cards, and uh, one credit card is for you know fuel and daily. Like if we need something for the job, and then one credit card is for the maintenance and stuff. So that way we can keep track of everything. It's not just. I mean, I I bank with PNC, which they've been phenomenal as far as uh, showing you a detailed list of what you've got coming in. You know, your net cash flow, what you got going out. So I mean, I basically. Get, Got it down to what my expenses are and how much we need to make and then what we need to put away. So it, I do mine probably a little bit different than other people do. I also, though, have multiple businesses. Uh, I have, you know, Bielco, which is our last name, where our other companies kind of umbrella underneath. The reason for that is is I, I won't get into too depth with it, but, you know, if one business, Profits too much, another business can kind of take that expense away. That way, we don't have to, you know, pay Uncle
0: Sam quite as much. Are you set up as a series LLC then? I am, yeah. yeah. But uh, to answer your question, I mean, whatever works best
1: for you as the owner, um, just make sure you keep track of what you need to financially. Don't go out and buy that $50,000 boat because you just landed this big job. What's going to end up happening is is you're not going to have the money at the end of the job that you need to repair or fix your equipment. And now you got a $50,000 boat that you can't unload for $50,000 because depreciation immediately. Yeah. You know, I see that a lot. People go out and buy a brand new truck or something like that. And I I sit there and think, man, I remember when I was that guy buying the brand new trucks, when I owned that business in Florida, every six months, we would hit 20,000 miles. And at that time it was more sense to sell the truck at 20,000 miles because it would be such a, a little depreciation in it and then go out and buy a new truck. I mean, hardly ever did we get to 30,000 miles on a truck, but man, it, every six months we were getting, getting new trucks and I won't ever do that again.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, don't blame <laughs> I don't
1: need the fancy new trucks.
0: Yeah. I, I don't blame you one bit. Yeah. I talked to a lot of guys and, and like, there's multiple philosophies. If you've got, the ability to mentally or in QuickBooks keep track of like what you need for a nest egg, for emergencies, for your maintenance and all that, and you can manage that all all out of an operating account, kudos to you. If you struggle with that, I always tell everybody, I might have three bank accounts. Your operating account that you shuffle money in and out of, and then two savings accounts. One is an emergency fund, whatever number you think you need to have in it. And you don't have to fund it fully, right? Just start putting stuff in there in case... You have a month where you only do two jobs because the phone doesn't ring and you still got all your expenses or something. You have a major breakdown that wasn't part of a maintenance schedule. Like have that nest egg, whatever that nut is. And then that third account is exactly what you talked about, a percentage of every job going into that to take care of all of your maintenance expenses, your parts, um, and your your ancillary overhead that isn't so much your operating costs that you're not going to run into on a weekly or daily basis. That's
1: right. That's right. And I mean... You figure it, you know, in percentage, you know, 20%, 20%, 20%, 20%, 20%. have you five different 20% because you never know, you know, like uh, tires. We were going through tires every eight months. And uh, finally I told my son, I was like, listen, let's go buy bigger wheels to be able to put a semi-tire on our dualies. And right now we're running bus tires on our, on our trucks, because we get 300,000 miles out of them. Now, granted, it costs us $5,000 to do that, but I won't have to replace tires for five or so years because of that, Mm -hmm. you know, where it was going to, eventually, I might've saved money spending the thousand dollars on tires every year, but in the long run, you got your downtime. You've got a ticket that you might get when that cop pulls you over for not having proper tread on your tires and such. So, I mean, it really adds up on that aspect of it, where you might not see it being a a cost effective thing, but in the wrong, on the wrong run, it is. I mean, you've got to anticipate all those little things, even just with tires. I mean, you wouldn't even think about it, but it it does add up.
0: Yeah. And it's easy to look at that and say, Oh, I've got five years. So I got to reinvest in those. I don't need to start saving for them today. But if you took 50 bucks a week or 50 bucks a month for five years, then you'd have the money That's to replace right. them in five years. Instead of going, shit, we've got to replace the tracks on the thing. We have tires on the truck. Now That's your right. $5,000 that you didn't plan for turns into 20 grand. And you're like, yep. I, I don't have that much cash free. Cause I'm waiting on receivables or I got this, but it's just, there's always something if you don't plan far enough out ahead.
1: That's right. I mean, I'm not quite a five-year planner. I'm more like a two-year planner. So Running a business is kind of like playing chess. If you look and see what your next moves are and stay ahead of those moves, then you'll do fine.
0: Yep. Always be two or try to always try to be two or three moves ahead. That's right. So so you said more of a two year planner. Do you have like goals and visions written out that you're trying to achieve in the next twenty four months? Or are you just looking at it as far as safety, security, and and financial?
1: All of it. We've got I've got my son. Now where he's got a vision board too, um, the equipment that we want in the next year or two, we've got on this vision board, along with you know the toys that we want want in the next year or two. I think that's a if you can see it mentally every day, somewhere your refrigerator, your your mirror. Uh, we've got ours on cork board, you know, in the office. You put your stuff up there. You look at that every day. You don't let it get to the back of your mind. You know, it's always there in the front. It helps you. It makes you be able to get things easier. Believe it or not, I'm a firm believer in what energy you put out in the world is the energy you get back. So if you can see yourself on a 30-foot boat in Key West, then put that on the vision board and and go get it. I mean, don't sit at home waiting for people to call you. When you said that the other few minutes ago, too, I was sitting there thinking, the best thing you can do is go get you a sign put up on your truck with your trailer and your piece of equipment in, it and go sit at your local Lowe's or your local Home Depot or wherever they sell home improvement stuff at. And I guarantee you, before you leave there, you'll have four or five new customers.
0: Yeah, they're usually next to a strip mall, too, right? So eat lunch there every day and park in the Lowe's parking lot.
1: That's right. I mean, you can't go wrong. It's uh, kind of free advertising. and um, I say free, you still got your your time and your fuel to get there. But in the long run, even if you just get notarization where you might not get a job at that point, somebody's going to see you again and say, oh, I remember them from wherever it was. And now you've got another customer.
0: Yeah. And it's funny. I want to stick your comment about parking at Lowe's. I literally just read an article probably two or three weeks ago about this nursery. I think I don't remember what state they were in. But he was like a nursery, and he was getting ready to open up a store. Instead of just supplying to landscapers, he was going to have a store, like a, a true nursery people can come get mulch, flowers, everything from. But his name was real known, real well known in the area, but nobody knew he was going to serve to the, the public. So he took a semi-trailer for his brand, talking about the store opening this day, and he parked it on an overpass in a no-parking zone with the heaviest <laughs> trafficked street below it, and he would get a ticket every day and he would pay that ticket like 175 bucks and people are like what are you doing he's like that 175 a day ticket is a third of the cost of the billboard right across the street that's right those are expensive those are but, at least 1800 a month <laughs> but again like you know it's find find the eyeballs let them see you whatever the cost and be creative about it
1: that's right yeah, I, and a lot of things that Whatever you're doing, self-employed, you've got to be creative. You got to separate yourself from the other guys. Do good work, but you've got to figure out a way for people to see you doing good work.
0: Yeah, like I, I remember, I just passed a guy yesterday on the street, and he had one of those Vista Print magnets on the side of the car. That like it was just a cheap template where you put in the name of your business, and it's a generic font. And then there's like a line and some goofy symbol, like a lawnmower. And like it's not professional. It's just like, oh, here's a template you can put your, you know. Bob's landscaping, and then a phone number, and then a picture of a lawnmower on it, and it's like twelve inches by twelve inches. And I remember looking at his truck, going, "Yeah, I'd never hire him. Like, he doesn't. T- if you don't take enough pride in displaying your business, like, are you gonna take pride in the work you do in my yard?" Well, I, I agree with you one hundred percent because I'm
1: thankful that I see those people out there. We just saw one. It's a a dumpster, and it says "Rent Me," and it was spray painted on there with the phone number "Rent Me." and the phone number and i'm thinking you know if this is the quality that you take in that i know what the quality is of your work and your ethics and everything so that's why i'm thankful you know because i've seen they go to walmart or michael's or wherever it is and get the stick-on letters for your mailbox or whatever and nothing is it, it they put it on their back window or their tailgate or whatever and it's nothing nothing's like uh, symmetrical. It's like up and down, and it's not a straight line. And I'm thinking, well, that's kind of work you're going to get if you hire that person.
0: Yeah, I always look at that. And I'm like, you've got, even if it's all used, right? You've got a minimum of 40 grand in trailer equipment and truck, probably over 100 grand. And you can't spend a couple hundred bucks to have a graphic designer make something look pretty for you.
1: I'm my own graphic designer. I wear that hat in this company. Uh, everything you see, all. I don't know if you can see that good, but I've done all the website and it's not by me wanting to do it. It's by me not wanting to pay that guy a thousand dollars to do what I think I can do. So Mm -hmm. I believe there's a time and a place though, to to pay that money, especially when it comes to advertising. I get these calls, you know, from Facebook solicitors all the time, like, let us advertise your business and it'll cost you fifteen hundred dollars a month. And No, no, you're not. I'm not going to pay you. $1,500 $1,500 a month, when I could go out and get that billboard that you were talking about, or uh, for $1,500 a month, I can direct my flow where I want it to go and see what works and doesn't. Don't be scared of that advertising. Now, advertising is one big part of this company. If you can get out there and do the work, you got to be able to get out there and get the customer. So don't let it scare you away. It's really not that hard. If you spend $1,000 and it, you don't see any returns on it, then now you know maybe what to do next time when you spend that $1,000, you know, and get the return on it you need. But Mm -hmm. it is a very important part of any business. I don't care if it's land management or lawn mowing or whatever it is, you've got to be able to advertise. Word of mouth is great, but that, and and remember this too, uh, it takes three times for the human mind to actually acknowledge some form of advertisement so
0: you're a little light
1: in layman's term if you put three billboards up right in a row by the third one they'll remember you they but if you just, just got one bill up bill in the city times. somewhere
0: yeah that's it right takes, it takes 13 times of he hearing or seeing something for them to actually remember it that's why radio that's radio right. stations sell so like 100 commercials because it needs to be heard 13 right. times so you yeah, got three that's billboards right. they might Recognize it the first day, but at the end of the week they'll remember it.
1: That's right. And I mean, what works for us is, uh, you know, yard signs. Yard signs are great because people see it; they know that you've just done something there. They talk to that customer. They see how happy they are, and then you get a customer. The next best thing, we tried the uh, the radio. To me, my generation probably still listens to the radio, but my son's generation is on iTunes or youtube radio or whatever it is you know it's digital marketing and you need to maybe look at that aspect of it if you're going to advertise look at the digital radio instead of the actual am fm radio
0: yeah and there's a lot of theories on radio too like i know a lot of businesses both locally and regionally that just spend an enormous amount of money on radio and it works really really well for them and the theory behind it is like if you're going to invest in radio just invest in radio. Like, don't don't get the TV commercial. Like, you can do some recognizable, cheap, budget ads on social media, but like, spend a majority of your budget on radio. And the theory I take from uh, that is you. like, pick one and just spend your money and get really good at one. Whether it's Facebook, Instagram, radio, TV, billboards.
1: That's right. See what works best for you. I mean, the radio might not work for you,
0: but a tip
1: for your listeners: if you're going to do a radio ad. Find out when the car ads are and do yours right before or right after because they advertise at the best times and it's hard to get those slots and you're going to pay a little bit more money. But in the long run, you're going to get more notoriety out of it than you would if you ad- let them advertise for you at midnight or, you know, when nobody's listening to the radio during the lunch hour or something.
0: Yeah, we ran radio ads for 10 years when I owned a bar because it was back early 2000s. And they did really well for us, but I learned a lot about how the radio stations sell ads and they always package the ads and you get 25 primetime ads, but you get 150 weekend and night ads. And so you get 175 right. ads. You're like, wow, that's a lot of ads. And you're like, only 25 of them are worth a damn because who's listening at 11 o'clock at night or Saturday right. afternoon? Like nobody listens that's to the right. radio Saturday afternoon. They're out in their yard. They're with their family. Like, so they, they just fall on deaf ears. Barely paying attention. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <clears throat> so we've had to but break down a lot of contracts. To be like this is terrible.
1: It is. I mean,
0: the the radio didn't
1: didn't work for us. We we've not tried TV yet. Something else that we found that worked on a very cheap budget is um, we also deliver direct decorative rock. So your river rocks and your granites and such, and uh, we put a free ad on Marketplace, Facebook Marketplace. And then that opened so many doors for us, you know, just because, well, now you need it spread. We've delivered it to you, but let us spread it for you, too. Or, you know, uh, we've tried um, sod. My my dad, the reason I'm probably in the industry that I'm in is because in South Florida, my dad had one of the biggest sod companies. Um, there was 12 or 13 sod companies in South Florida in the 80s and My dad supplied 75% of the sod to South Florida at the time. So the other ones were starving, you know, but uh, I contribute. That's the reason why, you know, I do this, but anyhow, we can sell sod on Facebook marketplace. It's a free ad to get your name out there. So if you can provide some of those things that you might not normally want to do, but Facebook allows you to post it because it's not a service, you know, then do it that way too. I mean, that's good free advertisement. And have other people post them for you, your girlfriend, your wife, your kids, whatever. Have them, you know, because the more that are out there, the more likely you're going to get some kind of return out of those. And they're free, so you can't go wrong.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of been our little hack for the marketplace too, is whatever service you're providing, sell the materials. That's right.
1: That's right. Yeah. Works out. I mean, that's good free, free advertisement. absolutely again i think the yard signs are about the best you can't beat the yard
0: sign so your yard sign i mean we talked to a lot of guys that do yard signs so is your yard sign just a generic advertisement or is it per product like what walk me through what your yard sign looks like
1: it looks just like this with two phone numbers underneath it mine and my son's okay so um it just says eco land management on it when i did the advertisement i put the equipment on there so It kind of gives people a general idea of what land management is because a lot of people don't know. You know, they look at land management. What's that? Well, we can remove trees, we can lay sod, we can you know do whatever you need around your home or your proposed home site. You know, so that's why I added the equipment in there. So it kind of gives them something to grasp. And then short and sweet is always the best. Uh, Keep in mind when you do advertisement, the the bigger you can make it. To where it's eye catching. Don't put in there, you know. We do mulch, we do rock, we do sod, we do land clearing, we do all this stuff. That's stupid. Don't do all that. Just put, you know, something that's going to catch their attention and some phone numbers on there. If they really are in the market, they're going to call you.
0: Yeah, we. I, I work with a guy in Canada, and the blackberries are very invasive in his area. And his yard sign that he puts out every spring just says blackberry removal and a phone
1: number. That's it. That's all you need. Pick. Something else too, that you, you just reminded me of, um, don't try to do a bunch of things unless you absolutely need to survive. Pick something like ours is land clearing and and brush removal. So we do demolition and we do you know the hauling and the sod and all that stuff, the landscaping, if we have to. but we don't try to advertise that. We just picked one thing that we kind of stick to and let the other stuff work its way out. You know, um, we get enough business to stay busy. And uh, we pick up other little leads along the way, which, you know, is just extra money, really, if you look at it that way. But the reason I say that is because you're going to overwhelm yourself if you try to figure out how I got a saw job this week. I've got a rock delivery this week. I've got a land clearing job this week. I've got all this stuff I got to do. And it's going to overwhelm you and not make the business fun. One of the most important things is is you're doing this so you don't have to listen to the guy, the man, whoever you want to call him tell you to be at this job site at this time and be here for eight to 10 hours. And then when you go home, you know, you're tired and all this stuff. You're doing this so you can have the more freedom to sit here and schedule. All right, well, my daughter has got a field trip this Friday and I'm going to be there for her. So I'm going to, you know, make this something more than just a nine to five job. Now, don't get me wrong. I've had to pay my dues. I, I tell my son all the time, I've earned my keep, I've worked hard my whole life, and now I'm I'm in the process of where I'm wanting him to start taking over so I can slow down and, and work on my yard at the house or my rose bushes or whatever it is, you know, or take my young daughter out on the field trip. So don't make the business daunting and overwhelming for yourself either.
0: Keep uh, it, I, keep it like no, and go ahead. You're good. I say, I always, I've got a one sentence reminder to everybody when they're doing this business. The riches are in the niches. That's so right. Service is a niche. And the That's fewer it. niches you serve, the more riches you can make. And it, it sounds intuitive, right. but everybody that has done that always tells me, he's like, I should have done that years ago. That's right. Um,
1: you can overwhelm you look- yourself and make it unpleasant for
0: sure. And, and I always use the same example. I I, t- I take the septic system installation company. They have all the equipment to do all the services you do. Maybe not forestry mulching, but dirt work, gravel grading, land services. They can do all that. Nobody calls them for that because they specialize in septic systems.
1: That's right. And it's funny you say that because my son's actually going to get his septic license this uh, next week. <laughs> oh, really? But. It's a no brainer around here. I mean, um, we'll keep doing the because ultimately, what he wants to, the end result for him is that he wants to do uh, commercial site development. You know, he wants to have all the equipment to do laser levels and the parking lots and the utilities and all that stuff. So that's his goal. But in the meantime, you know, he's going to get his uh, septic license installed. Then he's going to go back in a few months and get the uh, inspector license. And um, we all know anything with landscaping and land management, it's a seasonal job. And this is about the time that usually everybody starts to slow down, where the septic system, it doesn't slow down. You're going to have a clog. You're going to have a a failure in the part or whatever. So it's basically just to fill in the voids.
0: Yeah, it's recession-proof, right? Like, doesn't matter what the economy is doing. If your septic doesn't work, you have to get it fixed.
1: You have to, and know, that was one of the big things. Um, in South Florida, everything was pretty much on city septic and here there's only one or two communities that are actually on city septic. So pretty much everything else is sewage here. Uh, and, septic and what, systems.
0: what you find in a lot of markets across the, you know, a lot of towns across the United States is the guys that do septic systems, they've been doing it for 20 and 30 years. And there's not a lot of young guys breaking into the septic industry. So you're going to see a massive turnover, I think, in the next two to five, eight years when these guys retire, sell their business, hand it off to a younger generation. Like the market's ripe. And if a guy's been doing business 30 years and you come in and start doing septics also, he's more than likely going to help you and not try to crush you. He's made his money. He's comfortable. His customers call him. It's on autopilot. You're not even a threat. That's right. That's right. And I mean, there's
1: so many... We've got in the three surrounding communities, we've got you know close to two hundred and fifty thousand people, and I'm pretty sure that there's only two companies in the one county that we live in, and uh, altogether there's like six companies without the the three that I keep talking about. So it's really a strained market already for any customer that needs to get out there and find. You know, a, a septic system, a septic pumper or a repairman, or I mean, there is insulation companies out here, but they don't do pumping. They don't do repairs. They only do new installs. So I feel like it's a good move for him. And I mean, it's it's something that he's wanting to do. It's not me, you know, saying, hey, go out and do this because you know how hard it is to get your kids to do what you want them to do. So that's one of the things with when we started this business up, you know, I was asking him, You know, what do you want to do? And this is the directions we're going, is what he wants to do. Me, I'm laid back. I'm ready. If I'm going to do things, I'm going to do the more laid back stuff. I don't know exactly what that is yet, but I know that we are going to split off eventually. And, you know, I might go, when I was in Florida, I used to do waterscapes and koi ponds and, you know, stuff like that. And that's something I find very relaxing for whatever reason, placing rocks and using water. I loved it get your
0: feng shui on man that's right i'm very creative so i like to be creative in that way yeah nice so we we teased it at the beginning of the show but you've got some pretty strong thoughts on expanding businesses and using debt for growth in this current market you're very much against over leveraging the interest rates machine cost and if you've got some really good strong words for somebody if they're like trying to break into this industry as a new person on how you think they should do it. Can you, can you kind of clarify some of your thoughts on that for me? So one of the biggest dilemmas I think any company
1: starts out with is they're just starting out and they don't have this equipment. So how can I go do this job if this customer knows I don't have this equipment? Well, you go talk to your local cat rep or Bobcat rep or whatever and get their rental rates. It's going to be a little bit more expensive uh, to start with, but you don't have the the headaches of worrying about, all right, well, I don't have another job after this one. How am I going to pay next month's excavator payment or skid steer payment or whatnot? So I think if you're going to start out right now, get all your marketing, get all your LLC or incorporations, um, start advertising, uh, keep your normal job. Big thing, get your CDL. If you're going to do anything in this industry, you've got to have a CDL Class A. Now they've changed the laws on it where you've got to go to like 16 hours worth of class or something like that. And these colleges are charging $5,000 to do this. You need to have that before you do this. Um, That's very important. Get yourself a good trailer, something that can carry the weight of what you're going to be using equipment size. If you have to get a new truck at that point, then... That's what I would start with is your truck. Don't go out and buy the equipment and not have the way to move it. Right now, when it when it comes to the interest rates, for example, you know, the Bobcat was pretty much given to us. We got 0% interest. Uh, we paid $65,000 for it. If I tried to buy that same Bobcat right now, same year, everything, I'm paying $75,000 for it, and it's used. Brand new, same model, everything, it's $105,000. So, I mean, you can see the prices of them have gone up. If something happens economy-wise, you know, you're gonna be stuck holding a $105,000 piece of equipment that you're not gonna be able to get anywhere near back on. Uh, you're probably gonna be looking at fifty, sixty thousand $60,000. I've been there, I've been in 08, you know, I had three skid steers and um, luckily I'd been in business for a couple of years and had them paid down pretty significantly. But I was upside down $100,000 on those three pieces of equipment. So, you know, I had to pay that out of pocket just to get out from underneath the, the economy crash in, in 07, 08. And, you know, that was a lesson learned. Get all your ducks in a row, though. Start out with what you need. Planning is key. You know, the truck, a lot of people don't think about, well, I need a dually to be able to carry this 20,000 pound excavator. I see it all the time single wheel. 2,500 is pulling around a 20,000 pound excavator. DOT is going to pop you for a thousand dollar ticket as soon as they see you. And it's going to happen. It might not happen today, but it's going to happen. Have all of it in order before you go out and even think about buying your first piece of equipment. My dad always told me, you go out and get the work and then you buy your equipment. You might find out that forestry mulching isn't the key for your industry because there's so many people it's already saturated in your area. Now you've got $150,000 worth of equipment that you can't really even get your money back on much less sell for $150,000. Look at all the different attachments. The attachments are key. My my word of advice is if you're going to finance something right now, go out and finance $50,000 worth of attachments. Make sure they're universal for the piece of equipment that you can rent in your area. And then just rent the piece of equipment as you need it. When we started out, we had the luxury of being able to have the piece of equipment because of everything being right. And whatever we couldn't finance or rent, like from Cat or Bobcat, like soil conditioner. You know, the soil conditioner is a $10,000 product, but we can rent it for $125 a week. Well, it was a no-brainer just to go out and rent that soil conditioner in the meantime. Now, you know, if you own that and you just have to rent a piece of equipment to go out and do the jobs, you're not as upside down as you're going to be. And believe it or not, the attachments hold their value better than the equipment does. So, you know, you'll be able to go out and sell that piece of attachment if you have to and get most of your money back if you haven't made most of your money back on the first four or five jobs with it.
0: This sounds like the perfect time for a selfish plug to remind people that Skid Steer Nation is an attachment store. You can go to skidsteernation.com and we also offer financing on all of our products. Sorry. And
1: just so all your listeners know, I'm not being paid or soliciting (laughs) for Skid Steer Nation.
0: But go Uh, check them out. Yeah. Yeah. Head on over there. Um, I, and that was one of the things you said to me before we started recording the show is like, you know, I would buy the attachments and rent the equipment. And that was like it struck a chord because I'd never really thought of it that way. But I'm like, it makes a lot of sense because they do hold good value. They're a lot less expensive. Yep. You can provide more services if you're going to have to provide more services, yeah. you know, like a soil conditioner
1: and and uh, the aerators and the cold planers and, you know, Whatever industry you're going to go into with your skid steer, you know, you're going to do better off that way.
0: Yeah, and like the coal planer and some of those things, like they're awfully expensive, and like, unless you're doing specialized work, like rent it. But like a grapple bucket and a soil conditioner or a grader attachment, hell, even a trencher, if you do a lot of utilities, it does make sense to okay. kind of own that versus spending the hundred and fifty dollars a day renting it.
1: That's right. And let's say you need an auger and you need a bucket or. Uh, grapple or whatever at the same job, you know you've got that attachment. Now you're just going to pick up one piece of equipment versus having to rent three or four of those pieces of equipment.
0: But that—that's just stories about guys renting hydraulically controlled attachments. Nobody takes good care of them. The service department at the rental stores don't even really give them a good, thorough look over when they return, and like the seals are blowing out oil around the hydraulic pumps and motors and. This doesn't work right. And then you got to take the auger back to the dealership, which is another hour and a half out of your day to swap it out for a different one. It's just all for petty stuff.
1: And you know, that that brings up a good story. I had a, a local rental company around here. We rented a excavator. It was a 13,000 pound excavator. And I got a grade bucket and a, a tooth bucket. Well, the grade bucket was a tooth bucket with the teeth removed out of it and i told him i was like i didn't even use this bucket i don't want to pay for it and he's like well you took the bucket why didn't you bring it back i was like because i was an hour and a half away from where you were and you should have quality control saying well this is a a tooth bucket without the teeth on it let me not give this to you i shouldn't have to monitor what you're doing you know so i was kind of aggravated about that situation like I told him I was like, "Listen, it's only thirty-five dollars for this bucket, but I guarantee you, if you charge me for it, I will never use you again."
0: Yeah. And why didn't you return it's it? I could I could have returned it and brought a bill for three hours of my time to drive it back to you to drive it I, off and drive back I, to the I job
1: site. That
0: <laughs> that's right. My son, I got you a bill my son's four and a quarter. Me. Real quick.
1: Yeah, I know it, man. But that's just the way it goes. You know, you got, and mostly everybody out here in Eastern North Carolina they're so friendly Uh, that's probably the first person that i've come across with that just really was unpleasant but i'm pretty sure that his dad started the rental company and he's just a spoiled little brat trying to earn the money out of it
0: yeah there's a lot of them out there like that i'll tell you what talking about your area i mean the carolinas i don't spend too much time in north carolina but south carolina that's like our favorite place to go get away because we're in illinois in fact, I think yep. we're going to go to Charleston in the, the beginning of December, but I love it there. I love, love the people. I just love, there's, you know, the culture, the history, the people, the food. It's just, Carolina's got it going on, man. I could see myself ending up there eventually in li- later in life.
1: It's definitely my new home. I mean, like I said, I grew up in Florida. I was born in Florida, uh, lived there for 30 years, and don't get me wrong. I love Florida, but Florida is just uh, its not so many good people there anymore. You know, um, it's hard to find people that you can trust, that can work for you, uh, that you want to do business for. I mean, I had one customer that um, we did work for down there and the SOB filed bankruptcy. And I ended up getting pennies on the dollar for what he owed me. And I mean, we're talking I got like a twelve hundred dollar check. And he owed me like $28,000. Yeah. So you see that a lot down there in Florida. Uh, a lot, like I told my son, because we've talked about, you know, I mean, we've always got a backup plan. Always have your plan Bs. And our backup plans is if, if we have to, are we going to go to Raleigh or Charlotte or are we going to go to South Florida where we know people? So if we go to South Florida, I was telling him, look, we're going to have a contract. Because not every time we do jobs up here, we have contracts knock on wood, never, never regretted that. But uh, a handshake goes a long way up here where you could pretty much guarantee if you got a contract in South Florida, you're still going to end up getting screwed one way or the other, you know, and have to take these people to court. I mean, I, I went through all that down in Florida. So I told him, I was like, the first thing is, is they're going to have a retainer. You know, if it's a big home contractor and they're working on, you know, building a hundred homes or something like that, We're going to get a $50,000 retainer before it runs out. We're going to be getting more money from them because I've seen it firsthand. You know, I had a company where I did uh, $11,000 worth of home grading and and sod and all kinds of stuff and then put a lien on the property. And they come and told me, hey, we need you to sign this lien and uh, we can sell the house and pay you. And I was like, well, it don't work like that. I was like, you're going to pay me and then I'll release the lien. And i like, all right, we'll write you a check right now. And I was like, oh, something sounds suspicious about this. So I went down there, got the check, r- released the lien so I didn't have to go back, went straight to their bank. They told me they're insufficient funds. Well, I went straight to the district attorney at that point. And in the state of Florida, the law is, is if they write you a rubber check to release a lien, you get three times the amount of the lien. So, I ended up getting like twenty eight thousand dollars out of them. So I'm pretty sure they made no money on that house. But it came six, seven months after the economy crashed, and I was already pretty much done. You know, I mean, it was nice to have that kind of money six months later when you didn't have any money, but it was too late,
0: yeah, so but that's, you're, that's, you sound like a good planner, you're like the vision board, the ideas, the vision for where you want to take the business, plan A's, plan B's like looking forward to the next year year and a half getting through 2024 maybe in the beginning of 2025 what's your feeling about this the the dirt industry or the excavation industry and what you think a lot of business owners are going to be dealing with or flourishing with or struggling with
1: oh man that's hard that's a that's a good question um so i hate to say it but a lot of it you know is leveraged by the housing market and the interest rates and And uh, and, you know, all that goes hand in hand with politicians. I hate to say that, too. I keep on telling my son, you know, don't let the politicians drive you nuts, because in my 45 years of doing business, my day to day has not really ever changed, you know, no matter who's in president or office or whatever. But it does. It's just it takes a while. It's like a trickle effect. So, you know, since we've seen Biden in office, obviously. There's been a downturn in the economy. The housing market slowed, um, so that really stunts anybody's growth right now. And in, in, in trying to start a business or trying to expand your business, but um, I think that if you keep on, like I say, if it, the necessity is, is that you got to go sit on the side of the interstate with uh, signage, or you're going to go sit at your local Lowe's and you're going to go out there and go door to door. I mean, that's the hardest thing for me. I'm not a solicitor. I can't stand to feel like I need somebody or I'm begging for work. So I can understand and relate with all your viewers out there. You know, look, this isn't the easiest thing, but you know what, maybe you could pay somebody to do it. That is it, you know, they don't have the,
0: the fear of it or the, there's a word I'm looking for. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously it works because otherwise roofing and window companies wouldn't go put door hangers or on mailbox things on every house around the house. Right. They just put a roof or windows in. I mean, how right. would you spend all the time and money to get zero return? It obviously. That's deserves. right. Uh,
1: and so, I mean, it, it, if you can, if you can get over that hurdle of go, go coal go straight to your contractors or your superintendents that are building in your area and talk to them the more people you talk to the better off you're going to be it's going to be it's going to get easier you know the first time you do anything's hard so yeah i find I wanna,
0: it where it, go ahead i, I just want to interject my my quick two cents on that if you're going to go like visit project managers and contractors and all that i always say draw draw a radius of your working circle around your home that you're willing to drive and work you work in find the smallest contractors or project managers like farther away, not right in your backyard and start with them because your first pitch is going to suck. That's
1: right. That's good, you know, good so one. you start, don't, and like don't
0: start at the top of your list, start at the bottom of your list and get five or 10 in. So you can hone your pitch, hone your words and not be like, um, uh, yeah, we can do, uh, cause that guy's not going to call it. So, you start with the dream customer, right? Start at the bottom, hone your pitch, work your way up. And then when you're comfortable, then you can go after the top of your list.
1: That's right. And I, and just keep in mind, too, don't try to do anything that you can't do. If you don't know how to do it, be honest about that. You know, I've never done that before, but I'm eager to try or I'm willing to learn it. And more than likely, you're not going to get the job. But, you know, if you sit there and tell them, oh, I can do that, and then you can't do it, it's going to look worse. Then you just saying, no, no, I can't do that. Or I've never done it before. So keep that in mind. It's all about, you know, what you present yourself at and and first impressions are everything. Just like you're saying, you know, start with the furthest away and work your way to the cream of the crop.
0: And and I've actually had guys call me and tell me that the guys far away or the the, the smaller companies that they started with actually hired them. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, that was terrible. I mean, why'd they hire He's like, he said, nobody's ever approached him about partnering with them before. Because everybody overlooks the little guy. That's right. That's right. If you see two jobs a year, and you get ten of those, it's the same as having one large contractor sending you twenty jobs a year. That's
1: right. But to answer your question more directly, the excavation and and construction, you know, the numbers are there. Uh, right now, we're we're in a little, little bit of slump with you know politicians, but the numbers are there. There's a uh, for every house out there, we would have to build somewhere, I, I forget the numbers right now off the top of my head, but I think it, we're short 6,000 houses a year. So that means that there's 6,000 potential houses that need to be built every year just to handle the growth of America. So it's out there if you go get it. That's the best way I can put it. Keep a, your eyes open, optimistic. It, don't get down on yourself you're gonna have bad days we have bad days um we get scared we think oh well you know do we have the money to to survive a three month or four month shutdown you know we think about things like that we sometimes things break that my son got a ticket by dot and it was 1300 or 1400 dollars. i called my wife up and i said i'm done i don't want to do this no more it's just too much. You know, but we prevailed. We we stuck with it. That was over a year and a half ago. I didn't let it stop us, but it felt good to have somebody to vent to. Um, she talked me through it. She said, listen, you've come this far. There's no reason to stop now. So here we are today, still plugging away, doing it good. I mean, I'm. we've got all of our ducks in a row, I feel like, from this point on. It's just we need the market to have its turnaround and we're waiting for it. Yeah, we're ready I, for it.
0: I, I feel very similar to the way you feel. And I think the one thing that I would interject is my personal belief is now's is the perfect time for land service companies to get really laser focused on the exact services they want to provide and be known for in their area and stay laser focused in your message, your pitch, your advertising, because there's going to be a need for everything, right? But if the guy that says we do it all, when people get a little nervous, like they want like a specific service done and they're going to go look for a guy that does that service.
1: Well, I mean, that's why I don't hire handymen because they might be good at everything, but they're not great at everything. So, you know, if I want doors hung and he's good at doing carpet, I don't want him hanging my doors, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, no matter what, whether it be land clearing, grading, site prep, home building, septic systems you know water drainage there's always going to be a need for all of that so like pick the one that you really enjoy market yourself rebrand yourself whatever you gotta do to dial in make sure the market can accept it but i think now's the time to get more laser focused on specific services and not just adding more services because you think that will generate more opportunities to make money
1: so you only do the other services if you absolutely have to 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 survive and that's what I was trying to explain earlier. You know, don't go out there and try to pitch a bunch of stuff, go out there and find the one thing that you do enjoy. Like for me, it's grading. I can sit in that Bobcat eight hours a day and be like, dang, it's already time to go. My son, he loves sitting in the excavator clearing land. He loves it. I mean, he, we're a lot that we just got shut down on is a wetland. And uh, you know, he does better than any operator I've seen when it comes to not getting your piece of equipment stuck. It looked like somebody had already been in there and got stuck. And, uh, you know, he's pretty much got that lot cleared without any hiccups, you know, so find what you like and, and stick with that. They all, they're all different. It's not just, you know, we can clear land and we can do grading together, but they're totally different, you know, aspects of the job.
0: Yeah. Good advice. Good advice, man. We covered a lot of topics. This has been a great sure conversation. Did. Told you I like the talk. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it because I have a lot of the same beliefs and values that you have. So, I mean, I don't know if anyone watching us on YouTube can just probably look up and say, Oh, Ryan was shaking his head a lot. Just like agreeing with David going. Yep. I, I feel the same way. Yep. I feel the same way. And, um, so it was an, it was refreshing for me and, and, and nice to hear it in a different words that I, than I typically use, but the same message, so. I enjoyed it too, this, a, this has been good. Awesome, well David, thanks so much for taking time. I guess I know you got a little extra time today thanks to the permits, but I still appreciate you uh, carving out some time for myself and the listeners of the podcast and coming on the show and sharing your story and knowledge and experience and um, we appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you having
1: me ever need anything in the in the future please don't hesitate to reach out viewers if you ever need any advice or just need somebody to talk to look me up i love helping people i don't ask for nothing in return i got a lot of people around here that you know they find it refreshing because i'm not their enemy i feel like if us contractors all got together and worked together we wouldn't have these low prices that are uncompetitive Compatible with, you know, the people that have been around and kind of understand what's going on a little bit better. So definitely anybody ever needs anything,
0: just give me a shout. Awesome, David. We'll make sure to have your Facebook profile and your website listed in the show notes. So if you're interested in contacting David, just scroll through the show notes and you can find his link down there. So, well, listeners, another great episode with some wonderful knowledge on operating and structuring and running your business. If you still feel overwhelmed with some of that and, the, and you want some help with it, go over to groundbreakinggrowth.com. It's a consulting coaching business that's affiliated with Steer hell affiliated. I own it as well. So it's part of the Skid Steer Nation brand family. We only work with uh, land service and excavation companies, and we just help you structure, outline, create goals. We work with you on your marketing, sales, scripting, your building culture, team development, growth, whatever step in the business you're at, we, we just kind of help guide you and be a second set of eyes on the outside and work with you to reach your goals. And it's all 100% guaranteed. If you don't like the services we give you, we'll give you your money back. Book a call today and you will speak with myself, no one else, just me. So groundbreakinggrowth.com Until next week, guys, be safe.